0: to another episode of Livewire. I am your host, Luke Burbank. Hope you are having a great week. We have a really fun, informative radio show in store for you. Our guests include Mary Norris. She's known as the Comma Queen. You might have known her from uh, her books or her work at The New Yorker. Uh, we also have Ryan O'Connell coming by. He is a writer and a somewhat reluctant actor who stars in this new Netflix show called Special, which is sort of autobiographical to his life as a gay man who also has cerebral palsy. Then uh, one of our favorite comedians of all time, a frequent guest on the show, Jackie Cation, uh, will be taking the stage. And we have music from The Get Ahead. Uh, The theme that we picked for the show this week is figure of speech. Um, We also asked the audience at the Alberta Rose Theater what their favorite word is. And why? And and as I was thinking about that question that we posed to the audience, I realized it's actually not maybe a very easy question to answer because it kind of depends on how you define your favorite word. Anyway, I was talking about this whole thing on stage with our announcer Elena Passarello at the Alberta Rose Theater at the top of the show. Let's pick things up there. I have to say, Elena, that for me, my favorite word would be nap. <laughs> because I love napping. Right I don't right. think nap itself is a beautiful word. <laughs> but, but the implication is one that I'm really into. If I was thinking of the word that is most beautiful or that I love for its beauty, I would go with mellifluous. Oh. I do not know what it means. I think it might be an Angelina Jolie movie. <laughs> but it
3: sounds really good mellifluous mellifluous i wonder if you could take a mellifluous nap oh i have what are uh like what are your favorite words so okay so word that the meaning is my favorite is snacks ah right yeah and it sounds like what it is you know it's happy it's fun it's delicious it's cute snacks and word that i just like the way it looks is giggle
0: Oh, yeah. But,
3: but only giggle in typeface. When the G's go, like, kuk, 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 at the bottom, like, kuk, 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 you know, and it sound, they look like little giggles the way they pool at the bottom underneath the G's. Uh,
0: what are the listeners uh, and the folks visiting us here at the Alberta Rose Theater saying uh, I their favorite i got to tell you something,
3: is? Burbank. The audience is schooling us uh, in terms of awesome words. These Nobody are else some, picked nap? No. These are some SAT mother truckers out here. <laughs> uh, here's one. It's from Jennifer. Jennifer's favorite word is capybara. And Jennifer says for her why, I hope that after we have destroyed our planet, the largest rodent in the world takes over. Go rodents.
0: I watch, like most of my social media feed now is just adorable animals. Oh yeah. I've slowly curated my social media feed to just be not the news, just capybaras. And it's working. That You could teach a
3: Ted talk on how to make that happen. Uh, what else you got? How about I tell you are three, there are only three words that more than one person mentioned. Ah, I like this. Um, the first one is petrichor. Mm, very, very Pacific Northwest word.
0: What does that mean?
3: Petrichor is the smell after uh, rain, after it's <gasps> been dry for a long time. There's a name for that? Mm, it's mold awakening in the soil.
0: Like, I don't want to get dark, but I'm just saying if I passed away right now, I'd be okay with it. Aww. Knowing that information. Because my whole life, living in the Northwest, I have known, what that, I've known that smell. I never knew there was a word for it.
3: That's petrichor. It's part of the water cycle. I only know that because poets... That's one of those words that poets are always putting into their poems.
0: <laughs> there like, once was a man from petrichor? He, yeah.
3: <laughs> uh, the other one of three, discombobulate. Mm. Mm. And the third... Impeach. Uh.
0: (laughs) This audience never ceases to not surprise me. (laughs) Hey, we've got somebody waiting off stage who thinks about words a lot. He wrote a great memoir, I'm Special and Other Lies We Tell Ourselves. And he's also got a hilarious Netflix show called Special, which he wrote every episode of and plays the lead in. Please welcome the multi talented Ryan O'Connell to Livewire. Ryan, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Love. Um, Okay, this show special is really great. It's been getting a ton of attention uh, to some degree because it it tells the story of a gay man who also has cerebral palsy, which is your real-life story. Uh, Growing up, what kind of impact did uh, having cerebral palsy have on your life? Just as a kid, what
1: was it like for you? I mean, it wasn't the best. I I I wouldn't recommend, like, zero out of ten. Um... (laughs) I mean, it was like it was like very like strange days, honey. Like it was like me at school with like my able-bodied friends, like playing at the monkey bars, like gnat. And then like and then I'd go to like physical therapy and get stretched by some like butch lesbian named Jandy, and then that would be it. <laughs> like and then it would like you know like be like in leg braces. Like it was just my life was very like split down the middle. There was like my able-bodied life and then my disabled life and. It was very confusing.
0: I know that you've you've said in other interviews, and and I, it's it seems pretty clear on the show that being gay was kind of low on the list of worries that you had.
1: Oh yeah, no, I mean, look, when I first realized I was gay like twelve, like I'm not gonna lie, I didn't love that for me. It wasn't like the first thing I would have picked. Um,
0: but was it really Ryan Phillippe that just like locked was, it in his
1: ass and cruel intentions? I think we all know. I yeah. think even
0: you know, Luke. I did. Some part of me stirred.
1: Yeah, when I saw I that. Think, I think everyone stirred. They really So, um, yeah, that that wasn't, like, my first choice for sure. But um, I come from a very gay family, so I knew everyone would accept me for that. So that was, like, no big deal.
0: Um, uh, Did you really make, like, a short film
1: to come out? Um, So I always had a flair for the theatrics. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, Mama loves a stage. (laughs) So basically, I kind of came out to like a bunch of my friends, and then I was like so exhausted, like by the manual labor of it all. I had like twenty names to still knock off the list, so I was like, why don't I just throw a coming out party for myself? So I just like sent a text to everyone, being like, come to my party for a secret that will change all our lives forever. And then I made little gift bangs, you know, very creative, gay, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. And then I recorded a video with my little camcorder, like Blair Witch Project style, with my friend Katie. And we just, like, it started with a slow dancing, and she goes in for a kiss. And I'm like, no! I'm like, I can't do it. And she's like, why not? Don't you find me attractive? I'm like, I do. It's just, I'm gay, bitches! And then everyone in the audience was like... What? Like they were stunned, which is like kind of lol, because I'm like, really? You were wait, stunned? wait, wait, wait. The the audience of friends that yeah, you made come over to your I house and, them the, and the you, they sat
0: around the TV and you oh, said, they, he, he, watch yeah. this. Yeah, like watch this little reveal. And, and they then. were surprised to learn that the person who had
1: orchestrated this event yeah. was in fact a gay man. And by the, and by the way, I think. I know, but honey, that's Ventura, California for you, honey. We're behind. We're behind. I'm from Ventura. Anyway, um, so we all danced to like moving units and called it a day.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, We're talking to Ryan O'Connell. His Netflix show is special. Um, I know that Beverly Hills 90210 was a big show in your life as a kid, and then you were a writer on the reboot of Beverly Hills 90210. Like, was your mind just blown every day that you're actually helping create the the next version of this thing that you grew up, like, loving?
1: It was surreal, but it also wasn't my first time at the reboot rodeo. I also wrote for Will & Grace. So <laughs> oh. I, was, I was in this weird position where, like, both shows I've idolized, I've, like, worked on. So I feel like... Um it's very relatable. I know. <laughs> very, very very relatable content I'm giving you right now. <laughs> I'm like, no, it was nothing. No, it was amazing. It was amazing being able to like um be face to face with these people that I grew up kind of idolizing and were so formative. I mean, I I watched Beverly Hills 90210 at a very inappropriate age, like age 4. It came out in 80 <laughs> It came out in 89 and I was born in 86. And I was straight up watching it When I was three or four And so You know when you're younger Your brain is a sponge And you can like Learn other languages Yeah I didn't learn another language I just learned Beverly Hills 90210 So like There are things To this day That I just You learned
0: fluent Aaron spelling
1: No seriously Like there's like Exorcist style I'm like literally Like I'll have like a flash I'm like oh yeah Brandon lost his virginity To Cheryl Who he met in Minnesota Season one And I'm like (laughs) What had to die In order for that to live Like seriously Like there is so much Real estate in my brain That's just Beverly Hills 90210 And the rest is just like Cobwebs and blank spaces Like I don't, I don't get it. It scares me to think of what I've forgotten so I could remember like Emily Valentine like trying to burn down a float. You know what I mean? Anyways, let's purge. Let's take a
0: break. We have Ryan O'Connell here. His Netflix show is special. This is Livewire from PRI. We will be right back. Livewire is supported in part by Fully. Based in Portland, Oregon, Fully is an amazing company that sells and distributes things that will help you feel healthier while you are being productive, doing your work. How do I know this? Well, because I use a Jarvis standing desk from Fully when I am on stage recording LiveWire. That's right. I can set that thing at any different height that works for me in that moment. It keeps the blood flowing, keeps uh, me feeling engaged. I think you can hear the results, my friends coming through the radio and the podcast. If you would like to stay healthy and productive while you're being productive at your work whether it's at home or in the office, you got to check out what the folks at Fully are doing. Go to fully.com/livewire. That's f u l l y.com/livewire. They've also got the Cooper standing desk converter that gives you the ability to set your desk at any height you want as well and just uh, figure out a spot that works for you. I promise it'll make a difference in your in your work productivity and how good you'll feel at the end of the day. I know it has for me. I also use the TikTok stool when I'm at home doing all of my uh, radio show writing projects. Uh, it's made such a difference for me and for our whole LiveWire staff, and I know you're going to have the same experience. So again, find out what Fully has got going on by heading over to fully, that's dot com slash LiveWire. Hey, welcome back to Live Wire from PRI. I'm Luke Burbank. We have Elena Passarello here as well. We're at the Alberta Rose Theater in Portland. We are talking to writer and actor Ryan O'Connell. His new Netflix series is special. To me, one of the more unexpected parts of your story that happens in the Netflix show but is real to what happened in your life was that you were basically able to pretend and sort of lie that you were in fact not disabled for a significant chunk of your twenties. How does somebody even do that?
1: Yeah, okay, so here's the deal. So I got hit by a car when I was twenty, which like was such a deep troll. Like I thought <laughs> I, I thought for sure like being gay and disabled... Let me just, if I...
0: Ryan, can okay. I translate for people? Sure. When he says it was a deep troll being hit by a car, it doesn't mean, like, a troll hit you. No. It was, like, life trolling a you. Like, like life let's troll. give this guy cerebral palsy, yeah. and then let's hit him with a car.
1: Like, I thought I was done. Like, I thought I was, like, fit... I was like, okay, gay, disabled, like, I'm good for the rest of my life, right? And it's like, JK. <laughs> um... <laughs> So I was not loving that, and then um, then I moved to New York, and I was like really, really saddled with these feelings of like, oh my God, I'm gonna meet all these new people, and I'm gonna have to explain. Oh, people are going to be like, oh, why are you limping? And I'm like, well, that's my cerebral palsy. And they're like, well, what's this scar on your arm? And I'm like, well, that's because I was hit by a car. And I just, I, I just, you know, <laughs> call me crazy. But being the new kid, I didn't want to leave with that. And um, so basically, I moved to New York, and someone just assumed my limp was from my accident. And it never occurred to me that I could actually do that. And so then I just decided to rewrite my identity as an accident victim and throw cerebral palsy into a dumpster. That's what I did. And I thought I kind of created this giant life hack. I was like, ha sucker. Like, I'll see you later, cerebral palsy don't call me ever again um but really what I was doing is I was denying a big part of my identity and that causes problemos you know what
0: was it like the first time where you realized oh I'm I'm actually misleading someone about kind of what's going on with me and like did you feel like okay this is a fork in the road like I'm just gonna like basically lie about what where these symptoms are coming from
1: well I mean I just feel like I just feel like as my 20s went on, I feel like the first couple years I was like an accident victim. I was like living, laughing, and loving. But then like the middle of my 20s, I was like not living, laughing, and loving. And I was just kind of like a miserables. But I don't, think I, I don't think I understood. I don't think I connected. The reason why I was miserable was because I was denying my cerebral palsy. But anyway, so I got um, a book deal to write about my life Again, very relatable content. Because you um, were,
0: because basically you were writing uh, a blog, and, and so you were constantly mining your own experience and, and and writing about it. And you got this book deal, but it was not to write about being secretly disabled.
1: Right, I sold them the stupid like how to be twenty something urban outfitters book. Like it was actual trash. And <laughs> I can't believe they bought it. LOL. but um, but anyway, I I realized like in the thick of like my misery oh, like, Ryan, like, maybe you should talk about your cerebral palsy because it's, like, bad that you don't, question mark? Like, I don't think I, like, really understood it. I feel like sometimes you have these weird brief moments of clarity when you're in the thick of, like, the I hate myself fair. So I went to Simon & Schuster, like, the day of our cook-off meeting, and I was like, oh, actually, they were, they were like, I have a title for your book. I'm special. And I'm like, LOL that you say that because I'm special in more ways than one. So I they mean, did not understand that you had cerebral palsy. They didn't know. They thought I was just wow. yeah. I mean, they thought I got hit by a car. I mean, like, it just doesn't come up. Here's the why it was like a perfect lie. No one comes up to you and is like, hey, how's the cerebral palsy going? Like, people don't know what it looks like. So if you just say you got hit by a car, you got hit by a car. No one's going to be like investigative CP reporter being like, I don't think so. The story <laughs> doesn't track. Liar. Burn up at the stake. You know what I mean? Like, that's yeah. not how our world works. So so you
0: you go to this meeting with with Simon and Schuster and they've given you this book deal and you're supposed to yeah. write one kind of book one of these very you know ephemeral That's just how kind of thing and then you were like at this point you had emotionally arrived at this point in your journey where you were like right. I need to actually just come out as a disabled person
1: yeah and they were thrilled I think it just like like made the book shicker and had more depth so they were like great <laughs> off to the races but but I really I really fooked myself though because like <laughs> I. I was, I know you can't really curse on this show, so I'm being very... Thank well you. done. Like, I basically was undoing, like, all this trauma, and, like, like I had repressed so many memories from being disabled, and now I am supposed to write a book about it? Like, like, usually people go to therapy, like, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Anyway. But, by the way, if you're just tuning in, we're listening... And talking to Ryan O'Connell, he has a uh, show on Netflix called The Special. It's such a, I think it's a compelling idea for a show, and it's taken from your real experience. Yeah. And it took how long to actually
1: get this show made? It took four years, which, like, yeah, too long. Yeah. <laughs> Way too long.
0: And um, and is it really because just people thought there's not an audience for this type of programming?
1: Yeah, I think the culture just needed to catch up. I think in 2015, people were just, like, just really registering that like women were funny. They were like, Amy Schubert. She's crazy and she has things to say. Like that's where we were at in 2015. So like gay disabled was like down the list. (laughs) Like it was like literally they're just processing Amy Schumer being funny. And they're like, I don't get it, because she's not a size two, like confusing. Right. Um so Anyway, so, like, Ma, they weren't ready for this jelly, to say the least. Yeah. But it was really disappointing because, like, we went out and we, like, obviously murdered the pitches. Like, it was amazing. Yeah. And then everyone was, like, we're making an offer, we're making an offer. And then they all got cold feet. But I really believe in timing and, like, the zeitgeist and all that stuff. And basically, we ended up going to this digital branch of Warner Brothers called Stage 13 that was doing short-form content. And they commissioned me to write 8 50-minute episodes. So that's what I did. And then we sent the scripts to Netflix, and Netflix bought it. <laughs> I think you're really great in the show. I think you're pretty good at
0: playing a gay disabled man named Ryan in the show. I can't believe you weren't going to act in the show originally.
1: Well, I think I never thought of myself as, like, an actor. You know, it's funny, like, as a marginalized person, like, I think you're always instructed to, like, be like, oh, I don't want to take up too much space. And to want something, you almost feel bad. So I felt like I was wanting a lot just by wanting my own TV show, but my life experiences, that felt almost indulgent. So to say that I wanted to star in it, ooh, that's too much. That's crazy. So I think I had to really... I think like now looking back at it, like I always did want to do it, but I just never gave myself permission to want those things. But now I have no problem being the girl with the most cake. <laughs>
0: All right, Ryan, here at LiveWire, we like to try to get to know our guests on a uh, deeply personal level. I feel like we've already been doing that. (laughs) I still feel, though, like we could maybe get to know you on an even more personal level. So here uh, in my hands, I have a jar. In it are the five essential questions of our time. We call this exercise the jar of truth.
1: (gasps) I'm triggered. What's... (laughs)
0: Here's how this is gonna work. Uh, our announcer, Elena Pasarela, she's going to uh, pull out a question from the jar of truth. Ryan, she is going to read this question to you, and we need your honest, truthful response.
1: Okay.
3: We are all doing our best. Is it okay to wear actual pajamas
1: to the office under any circumstances? No. <gasps> I don't. I seriously. I worked from home for many years, and I feel like I would get depressed if I like went full slob kebab. <laughs> yes, but that,
0: that dynamic maybe is somewhat informed by the fact that you're working at home. What about going to an office environment where all, we all want to be more comfortable? If someone shows up to the writer's
1: room of special... No, oh my God, as if I would fire them immediately. Are you kidding me? Just because we're writers doesn't mean we can't be chic. <laughs> like hello um no i i vote no is this a voting thing i want to i vote no you're, you're the sole vote yeah vote. you're well then honey it passed yeah <laughs> you are the you're controversial i don't know is portland like very pro pajamas i mean i feel like i yeah. feel like if this was la people would be like i hear you but you guys are like very down to earth and you're like wait we love pajamas like maybe i don't know yeah. like there must be like a middle ground between like pajamas and then like whatever there is a whole like
3: world of women's clothing that's basically formal pajamas well just gauzy elastic i'm into
1: that i love athleisure like i just love wearing like my nike shorts like everywhere so i kind of understand pajamas are just like a triggering concept to me but maybe like my nike shorts are my pajamas and maybe i need to unpack that
3: Generous. we got there
1: everyone
0: you want to do another one? Sure. I feel like you, yeah. you really nailed that one, Ryan. <laughs> Elena is selecting a question from the Jar of Truth.
3: Okay. Where do you stand, Ryan O'Connell, on the great debate of our times, answering thank you with no worries rather than you're welcome? Is that chill... Or chillingly
1: rude. That's not rude. I, say, I think I say no worries a lot. Really? Oops. Wait, wait. Wait. So someone says thank you. Yeah. And you say no worries. Why yeah. is that wrong? I'm sorry. Is this a cultural thing again? I'm confused.
0: I, well, I would say I don't write these questions, but wait, I, have, I have noticed that if somebody says no worries to me, my brain would go, oh, am I supposed to be worried? Yeah. Like, when I say something that I mean mm-hmm. to be probably overly polite, or if I'm moving through a restaurant and I bump into someone and I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry, and they go, no worries, I feel like they're giving me permission to not be worried about it. That really
1: sounds like a personal problem, Luke. <laughs> 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 like, I don't, honey, I don't understand. Like, clearly you have stuff to work out. XOXO, yes. best of luck with your projects. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan O'Connell, everyone, his new show is special.
0: <laughs> Livewire is brought to you in part by Alaska Airlines. Now, people may think Alaska Airlines only flies from cold to colder, but with 1,200 daily flights and 118 destinations, Alaska Airlines is a gateway from the West Coast to the world. Learn more at AlaskaAirlines.com. Hey, it's Luke. Don't go anywhere. Because coming up, we have grammar expert Mary Norris. She's known as the Comma Queen. And she actually got the New Yorker magazine to pay for her to take college classes studying Greek back when she worked there.
2: This guy, the executive editor, he said, I don't really see what ancient Greek has to do with your job on the copy desk per se.
0: (laughs) I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't even totally get that joke when she made it. Uh, later, I figured out, oh, because the guy was using Greek to say that they didn't eat Greek at the New Yorker. If you got that joke, though, you are very much going to enjoy our conversation with Mary Norris here on Livewire from PRI. This is Livewire Radio from PRI. My name is Luke Burbank. I'm your host. We're coming to you this week from the Alberta Rose Theater in Portland, Oregon. And we asked the audience here uh, in the room to tell us what their favorite word is and why. Our theme this week is figure of speech. Uh, Elena Passarello, our announcer, you've been uh, gathering up some of those submissions. What are the, the folks here in the theater? What words are they fans of?
3: Well, uh, I'd like to call this round audience cards German edition. Okay. <laughs> okay. So Margaret's favorite word is berserk Krankenhaus. <laughs>
0: That is the coolest club in downtown Portland. The Berserk Krankenhaus.
3: Berserk Krankenhaus is the German word for insane asylum.
0: (laughs) Gotta give it to the Germans. I, I have a rudimentary understanding of the language, but it feels like... They just keep stacking words on other words until they've accurately described whatever the thing is.
3: Like schadenfreude. Yes. Right?
0: The feeling of happiness you get from the sadness of someone else. Yeah.
3: I love that word. Yeah. I love schadenfreude. Um, Delia's favorite word is themawexel. Or which is German for topic change and is very useful for when a conversation takes a boring turn and you want to quickly change the topic so you can start talking about something else for example when people are talking about sports oh man okay one more here's one from Roger Roger's favorite word is yes good to say and good to hear wow good job Roger This is Livewire Radio from
0: PRI. I'm Luke Burbank with Elena Passarello. We are at the Alberta Rose Theater in Portland, Oregon. We're talking about the topic of figure of speech this week. Our comedian this hour saw her most recent comedy album, I Am Not the Hero of This Story, go to number one on iTunes, despite covering the laugh riot topics of genocide, the death of her mother, the death of her stepmother, the near death of her father. She's also the host of the wonderful and long running podcast, The Dork Forest. Please welcome a Livewire favorite, Jackie Cation, back to the show.
4: Hello, Portland, Oregon. Hello, Livewire audience. Uh, I am, uh, this is a middle-aged white lady. That's what this is. You're listening to a middle-aged white lady. Here's the weird thing about that. I never knew I was white. Possibly the whitest thing I've ever said. Why? Because I'm from Wisconsin. Let's talk about it. Uh, In Wisconsin, if someone were to say to me, I'm white, I promise you, I would say back to that person, did you mean Polish? Polish? Did you mean German? Did you mean Italian? Because I know exactly what this is. This is a middle-aged white lady, and when I was a tiny middle-aged white lady, I was told exactly what I was made up of in Wisconsin, which is old-school peasant stock from all sides. This is literally half Irish, half Armenian. That's what I was told as a tiny child. I have been genetically modified to pick up a rock on someone else's property. That's what I was told as a child. And I grew up knowing that. And now that I know that I'm a middle-aged white lady, I know that my my job is to confront other meaner, stupider white people. It can be done. I can do it. I don't like confrontation. And the reason I don't like confrontation, for several reasons. One, of course, is I'm a giant, hippy, skippy, bleeding heart liberal. And I've been one since the dawn of man. I uh, have been a crystal clutcher and a big, hippy, skippy person forever. Back in the 80s, I used to say Nicaragua. I, yeah. Yeah, I have been insufferable for decades, so I don't want to have confrontations, but I also don't want to do it because I'm an American. I have no interest. I would like to hire someone. Uh, I'm an Amazon Prime member. I've already paid for shipping. Does no one care? Someone fix this. But I'm willing to do it for a couple of reasons. One, I think I was raised to do it. And second of all, I've recently found out that middle aged white ladies are invincible. We cannot be killed. We also (laughs) will not shut up. Uh, The look that I am rocking right here is very much a hashtag peppermint patty. This has interrupted a barbecue or made a child stop having a lemonade stand, because this look is a nightmare look for anyone who's a person of color. I'm going to call the cops is what this looks like. And with with this look comes great responsibility. (laughs) That I am willing to take into consideration. Especially since I found out that we can't be killed. Last summer, I was in Yellowstone National Park. Very beautiful, Yellowstone National Park. Four different middle-aged white ladies the week that I was there, different women, different parts of the park, different days of that week, uh, tried to pet wild animals. (laughs) Four women, four 50-year-old women, three women tried to pet bison, one woman tried to pet a moose. None of them died. They all should have died. There's a sign every two feet in Yellowstone National Park that says, do not pet the wild animals. And these four women were like, sure, but not me, it's me, Kimberly. So hide behind this, for it cannot be murdered. the reason I was, I was raised to do this is because I, I'm of Armenian ancestry and my grandmother lived through the Armenian Genocide. When the Turks came to her tiny village to empty everybody out, they didn't have any time, and so they were rousted out of their homes and into the streets. And she still said, she said there was uh, rousted so quickly there was bread in the oven. Sixty years later, she was still worried about it, I'm pretty sure it burned, pretty sure it burned. Okay. Um, <laughs> But she told me that um, the Turkish general in charge of her village told her family that they could keep their family donkey. They were going to keep their family donkey and my grandmother's grandmother was going to ride that donkey out into the world. And the village priest of the Armenian church stole the donkey so that he could ride it. And my grandmother was 16 and she took a two by four and beat the priest off of the donkey. And she told me that story when I was 19, and I told her I didn't want to go to church anymore. (laughs) She said, I go to church, you'll go to church. And uh, so it came to pass. Anyway, so... (laughs) And I I try to be a good role model. I'm not particularly good at it. I live in Los Angeles. It's not very hard. Um, So... uh, But I've had four different youths in the last year, four different younger, up-and-coming comics have said to my face in the last year, I am an empath, (laughs) like Mantis from Guardians of the Galaxy, (laughs) like Deanna Troy from Star Trek The Next Generation, like a demon from Buffy the V... No, you aren't. You made eye contact with someone who was crying. Someone looked up from their phone and you were there. Live it up. One of, and one of my friends, this guy said to me, he said, no, no, it's more than that. It's like when someone else's dog dies, I feel it just as bad as they do. And I said, wow, do you, do you feel the waves of hostility coming off of me? Do you, do you feel that? Because the word you're thinking of is narcissism. And... Uh, <laughs> And I, lo- I love all. I love the next generation of all the people in the world. I, I'm, I'm on board. But they were all millennials, and people give guff to a lot of millennials. I'm Gen X myself. We got guff. But I have never seen the pile of guff that millennials have gotten. It is a pile of avocado toast that you people are being buried underneath. But the only... Who doesn't love avocado toast? Here's my favorite though, that doesn't make any sense, but have you heard that millennials don't know how to read maps? Do you hear about that? They don't know how to read maps, you guys. We're always looking at their devices. They don't know how to read maps. We used to read maps all the time. In the 80s, we used to read maps. They don't know how to read them. They're always looking at their devices. I have this to say, I was there in the 80s. There was some map usage. Not as much as has been reported. We mostly use people. I'd call you. I'd say, I live here, you live there, how do I get there? I'd write down the directions on a piece of paper, I'd leave that piece of paper on the kitchen table. I'd get into my car, I'd drive as far as I remembered. I'd pull over, I'd put 20 to 35 cents into a phone, and I'd call you again. Where do you live from here, I'd say. So you are not fighting a pile of Magellans. We don't know how to read the stars, either. Uh, If I see a tree and it has moss on it, I absolutely never think to myself, Portland, north. I think dirty tree. Thanks a lot, you guys.
0: Jackie Cation, everybody. Our next guest is one of America's foremost figures in speech, or at least when it comes to how we should be using words. She was a copy editor and proofreader at The New Yorker for more than 30 years. Her book, Between You and Me Confessions of a Comma Queen, was a New York Times bestseller. Now she's out with Greek to Me Adventures of the Comma Queen. Please welcome international grammar star Mary Norris to (laughs) Livewire. Mary, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Uh, Is Grammar Star an oxymoron?
2: Yes, absolutely. (laughs) My fame is in this pocket of the world that is labeled grammar, you know?
0: Well, the pocket uh, is strong here in Portland because people have been so excited that you're going to be on the show. And it's so interesting because your, uh, you know, your writing is is about words and it's about word usage and grammar. Did you ever see this coming growing up in Cleveland, a lover of words? I mean, did you think, oh, yeah, this is going to lead me to the bright lights of the public radio stage.
2: I always wanted to be a writer. And I got a job so that I could pay the rent, and that job was copy editor. And when I was asked to write about commas, I thought, oh, no, don't make me. Don't make me. And then, you know, it turned out this piece about commas ran on the New Yorker's website, and it went viral. And then then it was, would you write about semicolons? And would you write about dashes? And and then it was my idea uh, to write about pencils. So another topic of great interest. Yeah.
0: Um, this uh, latest book is about the Greek language and also your love of the nation of Greece. What? When did you first become fascinated with the Greek language?
2: I had this idea I wanted to go to Greece after seeing the movie Time Bandits. Um, <laughs> well, it's...
3: So good. It's a great
2: movie, you know. With yeah. it was, it's um, Terry Gilliam, right? And the premise of the movie is that these little people go to the past um, to plunder the treasure from the past. And there's a, one scene where they go to ancient Greece, and Sean Connery is there as Agamemnon, and he's dueling with the Minotaur. And um, it was. Lovely to watch, but what I really loved was the background. It was just sky and earth, and the earth was not green and rich or lush. It was just like sand. I, I wanted to go there, and I did find out that they shot that movie in Morocco. <laughs> <laughs> oh
0: well. Did you get the New Yorker to pay for your uh, to to basically study the Greek language at Columbia University?
2: Well, I first started studying modern Greek at NYU okay and the New Yorker had always had a policy of paying employees tuition if they if the employees took a course in something that was related to their work oh. and um, well the the modern Greek course was was fairly cheap but <laughs> when i came back and i went to greece i had a wonderful time i fell in love with the aegean and i wanted to read ancient greek after i came back and then you know so i enrolled a course in ancient greek at columbia and i submitted the bill and they balked yeah. <laughs> it was a, it cost a bit more to go to columbia than it does to, to take a night class so um this guy the executive editor he said I don't really see what ancient Greek has to do with your job on the copy desk, per se.
5: <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, but I, that's when I started keeping a dossier of words that, went, that came through the copy desk that had Greek roots. I wrote them a letter with all these words in it, and I got the head grammarian to write a letter um, to say that, yes, ancient greek is in fact useful on the copy desk she said that you know once in a while if there's a greek word in the magazine and she wasn't sure that her knowledge of greek was current enough to keep us from making ignorant mistakes
0: nice that was it did you feel like you fit in there mary you came from cleveland you were always a fan of you know of of the English language, you always studied it. But I mean, that's some pretty erudite company, right? To be at the New Yorker and then to be telling the writers for the New Yorker that they're doing it wrong.
2: (laughs) Well, I worked my way up to that. Um, I started out in the, what is called the editorial library. They'd index the magazine. So it was a definitely an entry level job. Instead of helping put the magazine together, we actually took it apart with single edge razor blades and pasted it in scrapbooks. And we did this thing we indexed the cartoons. We'd flip through the magazine, and there were four of us, and look at the cartoons and decide what they were about.
0: <laughs> oh, my and God, you had to create a category? Yeah, they had to be Or like indexed. a pig trying to return a present to uh, the <laughs> Gimble's <laughs> counter? Yes. So you were down there doing that, and you eventually worked your way up to really being kind of the head proofreader and, and, and copy person. What was the term? The okayer?
2: The okayer. There, are f- there still are about five people who um, they start out as copy editors, and proofreading is also kind of a low-level job there. But what the okayers do is read a piece before it's scheduled to go to press. You read it, you give the editor uh, your proof with your suggestions or anything you've caught. And the most fun, really, is these okaying meetings when you get to sit down with the editor, the fact-checker, the author... Um, sometimes the libel lawyer and and another proofreader, and you all go over it together one page at a time and decide on the final changes, and then the okayer is the one that takes that proof away, has all the changes collated on one proof, and makes the changes, and then you go home to bed.
0: Uh, I mean, some of these writers... Uh, must not enjoy a team of people analyzing their master work they've turned in.
2: The best writers love it. They love the process. How often does a writer have that many people paying close attention <laughs> to it? You know, so it's the and the best writers are the ones who are really open to uh, feedback and response. It's the it's the little ones who <laughs> fight for every word. I like it my way. You know.
0: Uh, We need to take a quick break here. This is LiveWire Radio. Uh, We're talking to Mary Norris. Her latest book is Greek to Me, Adventures of the Kama Queen. We will be right back. Hey, it's Luke. Special thanks this episode to Christine Janice of Beaverton, Oregon, and Joanne Fox of Portland, Oregon. Christine and Joanne are part of the LiveWire member community, and they are generously supporting us with a donation each month. And we are so thankful for that support because without wonderful, generous people like Christine and Joanne, we couldn't do the show. That's the reality of doing an independent public radio program. So thank you so much, Christine and Joanne, for making this episode of LiveWire possible. Welcome back to Live Wire Radio from PRI. I'm Luke Burbank. We have Elena Passarello here. And we're also talking to author and grammar expert Mary Norris from the Alberta Rose Theater here in Portland, Oregon. Mary, you're sort of known as the comma queen. Is that a title that you like having? Do you like being associated with knowing a lot about grammar? Or do you worry that it it kind of sounds a little pedantic, a little know-it-all-ish?
2: It does kind of scare people. I prefer prose goddess myself. <laughs> so the comma queen label was, was invented by my literary agent. Um, and I, it took me a long time to get it that there's a, an echo with drama queen. It took me a while to figure oh, out. Oh,
0: so you didn't out. even really get the reference. They just told no. you, Mary, go with this. It'll be big. And you were like, okay, fine. I guess I'm the comma queen now.
2: Yeah, I, well, I have a comma crown. I didn't bring it with me on this trip, but somebody made an aluminum crown with little dangling commas, all in historically correct typefaces.
0: <laughs> How, uh, where was this crown presented to you?
2: <laughs> At a party, you know.
0: <laughs> Sounds like a hell of a party. <laughs> um... I, I'm wondering where the line between inaccurate or, or uh, incorrect grammar is and where sort of making new art, you know, saying something or writing something in a grammatically incorrect way in the service of a style of, of communicating, like jazz music or the blues don't always follow the quote unquote rules of music, but that's why it's art. Like, h- how do you figure out which is which when you're, when you're either editing or even writing stuff yourself?
2: Uh, I guess you just have to um, feel everything individually. You know, you can't make any uh, blanket decisions about what's, what works and what doesn't. One of the oddest pieces I ever had to work on was about a rap singer called Earl Sweatshirt. Oh, sure. You know Earl? Yeah,
0: <laughs> I do, actually. I mean, I don't know him, but I definitely know his work. He's from Odd Future.
2: Well, I had to decide in that piece which of all the obscenities um, might be spared.
0: (laughs) How do you... Uh, also decide, I guess, I mean, language obviously does evolve and a lot of people want to use pronouns that aren't traditionally associated with a person and things like that. When do you know as a a language expert when it's time for us to all just kind of move forward with something and and give up whatever the old system has been?
2: It becomes blazingly clear (laughs) at some point. Um, uh, The New Yorker is conservative about language and most print things used to be conservative about language but it's you know i am sorry i'm kind of evading that that question because it's it's very hard i fight a lot of slang terms hella hella hella
0: man we are really at the opposite ends of this debate mary (laughs) because i am trying to get hella more into the lexicon and you're trying to get it less in the lexicon? That is um, hella rude.
2: <laughs> well, see, I can't use it, so <laughs> I don't know how to use it. It did get in, by the way. I, um, the writer made a good case for it, so it did get in.
0: But, I mean, it, you just feel that it becomes, you say, blazingly clear, like, when it's time to, how about, you know, like, selfie, is selfie okay?
2: Yeah, selfie went right in, yeah. Okay. Um, something like a ringtone, when, you know, we started seeing ringtones just when we got cell phones, ringtone was not yet in the dictionary, and if it's not in the dictionary, it's going to be two words, ring and tone, but it looked ridiculous. And I knew it was on its way. Those compounds will have, they'll start out as two words, then for a while they'll have a hyphen, but it's inevitable that 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 hyphen is going to go and the word is going to be closed up. So every once in a while you think, let's just rush this one along, (laughs) okay? Let's just make it ringtone one word.
0: um, your, your latest book is about, uh, it's about the Greek language and it's also about your trips to Greek, Greece. And I have to say, it involves more nudity than I was expecting, <laughs> a book about grammar. Was this a shameless attempt to use sex to sell this book? Yes. <laughs> was that kind of uh, uh, anything that you deliberated over putting in, the idea yes, of you? Yes,
2: yes. Mm-hmm. I did wonder if this belonged in the book and there's something that happened actually um after the book came out the the nudity is in a chapter about Aphrodite and it's about going to visit Cyprus and swimming in a um swimming around some rocks because i was told that if anyone who swam around those rocks would be beautiful forever so um you know, I th- was thinking back later, and the person who told me that <laughs> was the guy who rented me a car. So, <laughs> um, Noted Greek
0: know. historian Terry... <laughs>
2: Anyway, I did swim nude around those rocks because I didn't want to make the mistake that Achilles' mother made when she held her son by the heel. Mm. And I thought, this should touch all of me. I even drank some of the water. You didn't want to have an
0: Achilles that. heel of non-hotness?
2: Right, yeah, that, that would be perfect.
0: Well, I don't want to spoil the ending of your book about what happened to you in your nude <laughs> swimming over there, but I just want to recommend it for everybody. Mary Norris is the guest. The book is Greek to me. This is Live Wire Radio. All right, our musical guests this hour hail from right here in Portland. And they're a musical family, and we don't mean that figuratively. There are actually two couples in the band. The lead singers got married, and they had a baby. Their latest album is Deepest Light. Please welcome the get-ahead to LiveWire.
5: emotions apart You're in
0: Album is deepest light. <laughs> All right, that is going to do it for our show this week. Thank you, as always, to our fine, fine panel of guests. This week it was Mary Norris, Ryan O'Connell, Jackie Cation, and the Get Ahead. Livewire is brought to you in part by Alaska Airlines, Foley, and the Jupiter Hotel. Laura Haddon is our executive producer. Lauren Masterson is our development and marketing director. Tim Harkins is our production director. And Christian Seger is our marketing associate. Our producer and editor is Melanie Sevchenko. Caitlin Kunkel is our writer. Our house band is A. Walker Spring, Sam Tucker, and Ethan Fox Tucker. Molly Pettit is our technical director. Our house sound is by D. Neil Blake, and our on-air mix is by Corey Schreppel. Thanks, as always, to Carlson Audio. Additional funding provided by the Oregon Arts Commission and the James F. and Marion L. Miller Foundation. Livewire was created by Robin Tenenbaum and Kate Sokoloff. Our show is made possible by the generous support of our members. This week, we would like to thank members Rob and Carrie Peacock of Portland, Oregon. For more information about our show or how to get our podcast or our newsletter, head over to LiveWireRadio.org. I'm Luke Burbank for Elena Passarello and the whole LiveWire crew. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next week. PRI, Public Radio International.